Hello, I'm Jeremy Hall, and you're listening to the Kingdom Ethics Podcast. We are thrilled that you're here. We're glad to be back. Uh, joined, as always, by David Gushy, and you've been busy on social media. You've made some noise. What have you been doing? Well, I spent a little bit of, the, of time earlier this summer thinking about, you know, as the election cycle is heating up, what kind of contribution do I want to make and where will I make it? And I, I ended up concluding that, that it was all to, the, all to the good because I would have total independence and total freedom to say what I wanted to say if I just did it on social media. And social media, if you say something significant, can get some attention. Right, and we can be our own editors. Right. And um, as an academic, I really do believe in peer review, but in, in some cases the journalistic editing process just slows down uh, something that needs to be out quickly. And um, anyway, so I, I post, I've been posting a lot about uh, the state of um, American politics right now. And a post last week went incredibly viral, nothing like I had ever seen before. Uh, and I thought we might talk about that today. Yeah, absolutely. Would you like to read it? This post was on July 18th. My dissertation was on the Holocaust. It became my first book, still out under the title Righteous Gentiles of the Holocaust. It was mainly about the very small percentage of Christians in Europe who lifted a finger to help Jews survive annihilation. Footnote, well under 1%. Writing about the Holocaust required studying the rise of Nazism in post-World War I Germany. In that literature, many reasons were offered as to why an advanced modern nation would end up embracing fascism, Hitler, and radical anti-Semitism. These included the trauma of the loss of World War I, economic dislocation, wounded national pride, a weak democracy, and no democratic tradition, and a radicalizing left-right polarization. Hitler found that he could gain power and consolidate it in part by whipping up a frenzy of hatred toward imagined internal national enemies, including Jews and communists, often identified and conflated with each other. He played the nationalism card, and promised to destroy the enemies who, quote, hated Germany. Historians said that Germany proved susceptible to this radical message because of the extreme political and economic circumstances it faced, and because it lacked resilient democratic traditions to withstand such demagoguery. Some also acknowledged that residual Christian-influenced anti-Semitism from deep in German and European history also played a role. A layer of Jew hatred was available to be mined there. For the first time, this is what I think got people's attention. For the first time, I am saying publicly that the rhetoric, strategy, and audience response of that era bears a disturbing resemblance to what we are witnessing today from Donald Trump, as especially seen in the Send Her Back rally last night in North Carolina. What does not quite compare in this to our shame is that we are not a country that just lost a war with millions dead. We are not in an economic crisis. We do not have a young democracy with no long tradition and no resiliency. How, however, we do have radicalizing left-right polarization and a growing more or less constant air of national crisis. We also have a purportedly Christian majority with a significant share of people who are finding ways to explain, excuse, and even embrace the hateful message they are being given. Once again, Christian moral failure on a mass scale. One of the most remarkable differences is that in our case, a very old political party, the Republican Party, the party of Lincoln, Eisenhower, and McCain, is now serving as the host and defender of this very dangerous 
racialized nationalist demagoguery. A generous reading is that this is a hostile takeover courtesy of Trump. Probably a more honest reading is that this is the Goldwater, Nixon, Reagan, Southern strategy come home to roost in the most frightening way. But however we interpret its roots, the GOP is morally in ruins. At this point, as the Never Trump ex-Republicans are saying, it doesn't matter what your policy preferences are on matters like trade, taxes, and abortion. What matters is to recognize a creeping, increasingly open inflammation of white racist nationalism. The threat this poses to the physical safety of these congressmen, congresswomen, to Muslims, to immigrants and people of color, and to our rotting national soul. This is a national emergency. <laughs> this post, I think the most I've ever seen in terms of reach of one of my posts was maybe 20,000. Mm-hmm. This post is at 440,000 plus with 5.5 thousand shares. I've never seen anything like it. <laughs> That's intense. That's that is viral. That's serious. So and talk I've, to me about it, Jeremy. So I've <laughs> I've been keeping an eye on this post and its responses. And people have mostly been civil, which is nice. Some people are very upset, but they're civil and will allow them in that space. We've had to get rid of a few people that have taken to language too severe for the space um, and things that we just don't want to dignify on that platform. But a lot of what we're seeing are people saying, I've felt this, but I don't know how to say this. And people saying it feels like we're on the edge of something, but I don't know what it is. Mm. I think you might be on to it. Um, there's, of course, there's uh, Trump haters that have risen in a chorus to say, yes, Trump is indeed Adolf Hitler reincarnated, the second coming. And there are Trump apologists who um, I did see the phrase 40 chess. It made me very happy. Um, that's been my fa- my favorite. Right. Um, but a, a lot of them saying this is unfair. You cannot. There's a lot of people saying you cannot say Hitler on the internet. You're just not allowed to. You cannot conflate anything with that time period. And I don't think you do in that post. I didn't read that post and think, oh gosh, David just called Trump Hitler, and this isn't going to end well. I thought, well. This- that's strong. Those are strong words, and it is a a call to see these things look too familiar. We've seen a version of this movie before. In the age of remakes, this kind of looks like a ripoff of the end of Weimar, the in-between war period in Germany and Europe, and how fascism and nationalism um and the other utopian mm-hmm. views uh took over europe that's what i wanted to say um the the transition from go back to their own stinking countries that was ugly and send her back send her back i also then later read that there was there were cries of treason and traitor at that mm-hmm. same uh, Greenville, North Carolina uh, rally. And the fact that the people being targeted are all women and all women of color 
it set off the alarm bells that you that you grow <laughs> when you write a dissertation on Nazi Germany. So what gratified me about the response was the serious grappling where I saw it, even from people who were either politically independent or not that interested or might have even been supportive of Trump. Um, like this, um, yes, that's alarming. Um, no, that kind of rhetoric isn't good. Um, uh, we should be better than this. Or, um, or I wonder what's really leading to this kind of response. Interesting feedback related to maybe we really are in an economic crisis. Maybe it's not 1925 in Germany, but there are a lot of people who are still hurting economically. We are embarrassed about the wars that right. we definitely haven't won. Yes. Uh, uh, and you might say that there's some residual trauma from 9-11 mm -hmm. and from the losses of, the, uh, of so many people in the Iraq War and the Afghanistan War. Um, there is an inflammable uh, anti-Muslim sentiment, which has been there available certainly since 9-11. Right. Right. And before that. Um, so people saying, um, don't underestimate those considerations. I, I've been very struck by the conservative folks who believe that, um, but who, who are basically saying, you know, I'm not going to deal with you on what you said Trump did wrong. I'm, I'm going to talk with you about all the things that the liberals are doing wrong, all the threats mm -hmm. that they're posing to our country. As if to say, whatever whatever the president needs to do to defeat them is fair game. I posted on social media the other day uh, that after reading some of the comments here, my post says Christians like me need to practice being like Jesus on social media. Yeah, I saw that. Did you see the responses? No. I took some of them down. Um, some people are like, amen, and yes, and thank you, pastor. Um, but also, I had one per I had several people think that that meant that was me saying you're not allowed to engage. Mm. Uh, several mm. people thinking that I'm saying that means they have to be quiet. Um, and several people mm. said to you should act like Jesus. No, we should defend Christian values. <laughs> Jesus is a problem for, for Christian people, isn't he, sometimes, right? Sure can be. Um, I wanted to say something as a scholar of the Nazi period and the Holocaust. Mm -hmm. This is something that comes up in Holocaust scholarship and has ever since the beginning of it. On the one hand, the Holocaust, as well as other Nazi genocides and other Nazi atrocities, atrocity is not a strong enough word, cannot be compared with anything else. Mm -hmm. um, factories of death like Auschwitz, the suffering of and murder of children at that scale, nothing quite like that had ever happened before. And it is important never to make facile comparisons. And, and one of the degradations of our discourse is the throwing around of Nazi and Holocaust yeah. language. I never do that. Okay. But if we are on, if we are banned from talking about the entire trajectory of what happened in Germany, and not only in Germany, but especially in Germany from like 1918 at the end of World War I to 1945, 
then a whole period of very instructive and tragic history we're not allowed to talk about. Right. Um, and so what I was really f- focusing on, what I was trying to say was, I could have maybe said it more clearly, let's say it's 1923 in Germany. Hitler hasn't come to power until 1933. Mm-hmm. We're still in the time to decide. In the time to decide, right? And he's he's hosting, or he's speaking at these rallies and gaining confidence uh, the crowds are really loving the anti-Jewish message. Uh, the people are spilling out into the streets and beating up people after his rallies. Um, you also have some similar stuff happening on the left. So evening time in Munich became, any time was a good time for another street fight between the communists and the nationalists, right? Um, so the targeting of specific people, some people began to get assassinated. The, um, the radicalization of the rhetoric, the national enemy, National mm-hmm. toxin, national emergency language, the the pseudo uh, militant wings of the thought groups. Yeah, right. So what I was trying to say was, when politicians go in that neighborhood, it's a very dangerous neighborhood, and Trump is is in the neighborhood. He's he's at least around the corner from danger mm-hmm. okay so um and it has something to do with a mass platform twitter is for him a mass platform 50 million plus people but so are those rallies and he has proven remarkably effective i think to his own surprise at creating rally environments that unleash the mob or at least toy with I would say turning an audience into a mob. Um, I'll, I'll I'll give you an example to be personal. This is seems silly, but it wasn't silly that night. I think it was in 2012 or something that I was at an Atlanta Braves playoff game against the St. Louis Cardinals. It's it's known to Braves fans as the infield fly debacle game, in which. It was a one-game playoff, so the Braves had one chance to get in the playoffs after years of not being able to make it. And an umpire made a crazy call uh, that killed a Braves rally. He called an infield fly rule on a ball hit halfway to the outfield. And whatever you, know, you can look it up. Check it out. Braves infield fly debacle. Check it out on Google. I was there that day with my son. The Braves fans went crazy. This is polite Atlanta, Georgia. People started throwing stuff on the field. Um, the the howling mob surprised me. But what surprised me even more was I felt the mob in me too. I knew it was a horrible call. Mm-hmm. I knew that should never have happened. I joined in the yelping. I didn't throw anything on the field. But I joined in the yelling and the screaming. It was so bad that the umpire who made that call, I believe, has never been assigned another Braves game because he became enemy number one in Atlanta. Um, A crowd can be mobilized into a mob through skillful anger-inducing or anger-inflaming rhetoric. We have had people like that off and on in American history. Mm -hmm. Um, It's always unworthy of our best traditions. And so all I was saying 
and I wasn't the only one. There were a lot of people, including Republicans, who were saying to and about the president, don't go there. Don't begin the 2020 presidential campaign at this level. Because where will it sink by the summer of 2020? Right. Because um, it has to escalate. It, unless you make a purposeful decision not to escalate. So I am glad that 440,000 people decided to get in that conversation with me. I don't regret it. I think I said the right thing. Um, I believe it. I think it's my job as a Christian ethicist to warn based on my experience. By the way, part of that post was to say to Christians, we know better than this. Um, so don't go there. Don't buy this. Don't accept this. And don't do whataboutism that mm-hmm. that excuses your guy because you're so uh, lathered up about the evils of the other side. That would be true for any of us. Um, and I believe that in the course of the campaign, I am going to comment periodically uh, on social media, public figure page, David P. Keshi, and on Twitter, um, to to try to bear Christian witness in a very volatile and disturbing time in our country. It's not partisan. It's about our character as a people.